stood on the precipice of a choice this week. We are deep into December. This is typically the time we, uh, we start preaching about uh, Christmas and Christmas themes, and rightly so. But also, I'm deep into Matthew chapter 6. As a matter of fact, I knew that in my series, I had one sermon left. And so my choice was, do I do that sermon today or do I hold off to next year? And when I did the maths, you know, you have a break and then you come back. And then, of course, I'm going to do my five psalms. I always do my five psalms, which means it'll be like mid-late February before I get to do the one sermon to finish off the series. And I said, all right, let's just do it now. So this is going to be my last non-Christmas-themed sermon until, we, until, until Christmas Day itself. So the next three sermons are going to be Christmas-themed. But I do want to take this moment while we still have hopefully something of the message of Matthew chapter 6 fairly fresh in our minds to take a moment to explore and work through how it is that Jesus comes to the conclusion of this section of his teaching. This is the the, uh, teaching that wraps up all that has gone before. And if you remember, all that has gone before, he talks about, you know, when you give, make sure you give for an eternal, not an earthly reward. When you pray, pray for, pray so you can get an eternal, not an earthly reward. When you fast, fast for an eternal and not an earthly reward. And then he kept our vision heavenward. He said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Keep your eyes on the one prize, the eternal prize, and don't have your vision split between an eternal prize and an earthly prize. And then just uh, last Last time we talked about you can't serve two masters, you will love the one and you will hate the other. So there's this great driving momentum that Jesus has been building toward about have eternal vision, have eternal purpose. And if you were preaching this sermon and you were to come to the end of this sermon, the question is how would you finish it? How would you drive home this point? Wouldn't a good way to finish this sermon be something like pray harder, give harder, fast harder, keep your eyes on God harder, work harder for Jesus. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a really good way to sort of finish that? I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's sort of the build-up. It's laying out a life of what it means to live for Jesus. You know, wouldn't the punchline be, work harder, come on, discipline yourself, get out of bed earlier, fast harder, move it, be focused more on God, fight your doubts. Or maybe an application, something like, you know, sign up and become a missionary, Quit your job, quit your secular work, quit your your non-church work and pick up a church job somewhere so you can truly be working for the kingdom of God. If we were to go down that road, what we end up doing is we put people or maybe put ourselves on a bit of a guilt trip. We have this idea that to be connected to heavenly values, to have an eternal vision, if it means simply working harder, having more discipline, putting in more effort, and quitting doing, you know, earthly, ordinary, boring things, and instead only signing up for church and missionary type jobs, it puts, I think, 99% of us in a position where we go, I can't quit my life like that. I can't just quit my job. Uh, I actually think more than I actually think I'm meant to work in the sort of business and industry that I'm in. You know, I have responsibilities that I can't just drop. I do need to write budgets and plan strategies and build products, and I need to teach and nurse and administrate and do all the other things that God has put on my plate to do. You know, my life and my mind is kind of just stuck here on planet Earth. Maybe I can't live my life following Jesus. Maybe this call is just too hard. Maybe I'm going to miss out on the treasures of heaven. What I find fascinating is Jesus does not even remotely go into that territory. He doesn't tell us to work harder. He doesn't tell us to show more discipline. He doesn't tell us to get out of bed earlier. He doesn't tell us to fast more. He doesn't tell us to give more money. He doesn't tell us in in exact precise details what the new schedule of our life looks like. As a matter of fact, where does Jesus land? 
on these glorious words, do not worry. Chill out, dudes. Relax. Come on, man. Come it. Just relax. Don't worry. Don't worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. The climax of Jesus' teaching is to call us into a place of trust and rest and peace. Don't worry. We become anxious and worried about our material needs and our, and our material comforts. We worry about our food, our drink, our clothing. We worry about our property, our investments, our bank account. We worry about how people think of us, whether they think well enough of us. We worry about whether or not we can just live our life the way that we want to live our life. And what happens is these things become more important to us than anything else. But the funny thing is, the more we make these things, our food, our drink, our clothing, our property, investments, our comfort, people's, uh, people's uh, views of us, the, moment, the more we make these things important to us, the more we are planting seeds of worry and anxiety into our own heart. Will we have enough food? Will we have enough drink? Do I have the right sort of clothing? Can I build a big enough portfolio of investments? Will the size of my bank account or the amount of debt dictate the emotion that I feel each day? Do people think well enough of me? Why can't I live the way I want to live and have have nothing just get in my way? Why can't I just do what I want to do? And each of these worries in the moment feels big and real and important. But what we don't see is that we have taken our eyes off that which truly matters and we have allowed ourselves to be, stra- to, to be distracted by other things. And where Jesus takes us is he says, you know, your life is so much more than that. Your life is so much more than your physical needs, your economic stability, and your own agendas and ambitions. Isn't life more than food? It isn't your body more than clothing? When we reduce our lives down to their material needs, when the purpose we have for each day is feed my belly, get more money, build my business, seek to live my own way, go to bed, rinse and repeat, that's my life. We end up living a life that is so much less than what God has given and gifted to us through Christ Jesus. There's a saying, I think it's John Lennon, but don't quote me on that. I think John Lennon said this. But there's a saying that says, life is what happens while you're making other plans. Have you heard this quote? Life is what happens while you're making other plans. Do you know that life is found in our relationships with our friends and with our family? Life is found in relationship. Life is found in being part of a vision that is bigger than us and is not about us. The more we make ourselves the center of our own universe, the funny thing is our world gets ridiculously small. But the more we have a vision of the world that extends far beyond us into something that's far bigger than us, all of a sudden life feels big and exciting. Do you know that life is found in acts of service and acts of compassion? And do you know that life is found in the time and the money that we waste so that we can invest in our family and our friends and service and compassion and being part of a vision that is bigger than us. I think there's an irony in all of this. Those things in life that seem to be the most important and the most urgent, those things in life that seem to promise to give to us the most wealth and the most comfort and the most control over our lives 
are exactly those things that keep us from fully entering into all that God intends for us. But those things that are less profitable, relationships, service, kindness, generosity, being part of a vision that is so much bigger than us, these things that appear to be less profitable are the things that open us up to a life that is meaningful and deeply satisfying. Jesus himself said, if you try to hang on to your life, my money, my wealth, my time, my reputation, my me, 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 if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. It will slip through your fingers like wet soap. But if you give up your life, you, us, generosity, service, kindness, connection, relationship, if you invest your life, for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel, then you will suddenly find that you've saved your life. Jesus brings this together, giving us, lifting our vision beyond ourselves. And he says, look, look at the way I take care of creation. Have a look at the birds and have a look at the flowers. Birds get all they need to eat even when they don't plant seed or harvest that seed. I make sure that the birds are taken care of. And have a look at the flowers. They are dressed in the finest colors that you could ever imagine. And they don't labor to buy those colors and they don't spin cloth. But I generously give them the blessing of fine clothes. All their needs are taken care of by their heavenly father. God created them. And so God will take care of them. And our brains immediately go, yeah, but... Yeah, but that's okay for birds and flowers. You know, that's okay for birds and flowers. Do you know what a bird needs to be? A bird needs to be a bird. That's it. That's the entire extent of their life purpose and ambition, to be a bird. Right? All they've got to do is be birds, fly around, sit on trees, sing some songs and eat some seed. That's it. Right? Or flowers. What's a flower? A flower just pops up out of the ground, opens up when the sun comes out, it looks pretty for a little while. Right? Like, what's the purpose of a flower? The purpose of a flower is to be a flower. Jesus... When Jesus says this to us, Jesus, you don't understand how much more complex my life is than a bird's or a flower. How much more challenging my life is than a bird's or a flower's. I have so many extra cares. I have so many extra worries. My life is so much more complicated. This illustration, Jesus, cannot apply to me because a bird could be a bird, a flower could be a flower, but I just can't be a person living in your peace and living in your presence, I've got to be something far grander and greater. And that vision of me, grander and greater, drives me hard to try to achieve all these extra things that just build anxiety and worry in my heart and in my life. But Jesus presses the point home and he says, catch the vision of what I'm trying to tell you here. You are so much more valuable in the eyes of God than even a bird or a flower. You're so much more precious in God's sight than anything else in creation. And what Jesus is trying to remind us, the faith he's trying to build in us is simply this. If God is faithful to look after even the smallest and the tiniest details of his creation, how much more will he take care of you? You are the pinnacle, the peak of his creation, the very beings made in his image. Jesus offers us these examples to build our faith, to give us the faith to lift our eyes beyond the everyday needs and the everyday pressures of life 
and to give us the strength to believe that God has more for us than chasing our tail and pursuing our needs. Life is so much more than chasing our tail and pursuing our needs. And Jesus is building in us the hope that's there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Note that it's all my needs, not necessarily all my wants, but he will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. So our life can be lived seeking more than just our own needs and our own wants. So Jesus brings this full circle in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, so don't worry. Do not worry. Can worrying about your life add one extra hour to your life? And the answer, of course, is no. Worrying does not add anything of any quality to your life whatsoever. As a matter of fact, you spend an hour worrying about your life, you've lost an hour. That's the, that's the fruit of worrying for an hour, is you've lost that hour. Jesus is saying, can worry add anything to your life? How does the quality of your life improve when you lose vision of God and God's goodness in your life and you allow the anxieties of your own life to press in on you to the point that all you do is sit in a pool of worry? So do not worry about your needs, your food, your drink, your clothing. People who do not have a vision, he calls them unbelievers, or people who do not have faith in God, people who do not have a vision of God in their lives, use up their lives worrying and anxious about whether or not they have accumulated enough and got enough and built enough for themselves. They're worried about the degree to which they can sit as the center of their own universe. But what Jesus is saying is don't be like them. Do not reduce your life to that level. And then he exhorts us. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Lift your vision beyond the pressures of your daily needs. Seek God's calling and God's purposes for your life. And then the promise is this, and he will give you everything you need. Your daily needs will be met. God's purpose is not that you miss out on the, on the necessities of life. But God's purpose is that you don't actually miss out on life itself. That you don't miss out on life itself. Imagine for a minute that I had a very large bill to pay. And imagine for a minute that I didn't have that money, the money to pay that bill. And let's say for a minute that I happen to have very wealthy parents. I don't, but let's, let's play make, make, make believe just for a minute. Let's pretend I've got very wealthy and reliable parents who have offered to pay that debt for me. So now I'm in a moment in which I have this pressing need that is causing great anxiety and worry, this great big pressure that's sitting on me called this large debt. And I have this promise from my parents who aren't with me at the moment that they have the resources and the ability and they're going to take care of my needs for me and it'll be okay. I go to the place where I owe that money and I'm standing there waiting for the debt to be paid off, waiting for my parents to arrive. How might I feel while I'm waiting for my parents to arrive to pay off that debt? Could you imagine quite reasonably that I might start to worry? Maybe I might start to pace up and down the lobby, getting more and more agitated and irritated and irritable with the people around me, unable to find rest or find peace for myself while I'm feeling the pressure of this debt and waiting for it to be resolved. And couldn't I just start to create what-if scenarios in my head? What if my parents got into a car crash? What if they change their mind? What if they don't show up? What if they hate me? 
right? How hard is it for us to start to create these what-if scenarios in our mind when we're feeling the moment of pressure of life coming on us and the anxiety that that raises within us? But if I know my parents and if I love my parents and if I'm confident that they love me and if I trust them, then what happens in that moment is rather than spiralling into the what-if scenarios and sort of allowing this feeling of anxiety to begin to overwhelm me as this situation remains, this debt remains unresolved in my life, I'm able to find peace in that situation. Not because I'm a superman, not because the problem's gone away, but because I trust the one who holds that problem in their hands. And because I can begin to find peace in that situation, rather than being anxious in the lobby, I can actually sit down, maybe have a sip of water. I can relax a little bit. Maybe I can talk to some of the other people in the lobby and have a bit of a connecting conversation with them, beginning to push outside of myself and begin to see the people around me and maybe even being able to talk to them a bit about their needs and why they're there and some of the challenges that they're facing. I can be at peace even as the situation still needs to be resolved. Maybe someone else walks into that lobby and they themselves are carrying a large debt and they're getting quite anxious within that place and they see me sitting there looking quite relaxed and they say, how can you be so peaceful in a situation like this which is not yet resolved? How can you be so relaxed while you're still waiting for the answer to come? My answer in that moment could be something like because I have faith in the one who has promised that they would come. I trust in their love for me and I trust in their promises And I trust in the integrity of their character. And because I trust, I can be at peace, even as I wait for this situation to be sorted out. So Jesus finishes his teaching with this wonderful verse. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles are enough for today. Notice that there's no promise that you won't have troubles. Trust in Jesus and you won't have any troubles either today or tomorrow. You will live a trouble-free life. That's not the promise of Jesus. The promise of Jesus is, guess what? Tomorrow, there'll be trouble. Today, there's going to be trouble. But don't double up. Don't try to deal with today's troubles and tomorrow's troubles on the one day because none of us are good enough to be able to do that. Each day is going to give you enough trouble, enough challenge, enough opportunity to stretch your faith that you don't need to add the troubles and the opportunities of the next day and the next day and the next day on you on this day. Don't don't pile it up on yourself. Each day, today's trouble is enough for today. But the call to faith is this. The call to don't worry about tomorrow and trust God for today is a call that we begin to see ourselves as people who are living with God each and every day. One of the challenges that Jesus has constantly been pushing at us is that we so quickly imagine that we are just living by ourselves, just floating through the universe. And what Jesus wants to remind you is God is with you. And when you live in the assurance and the confidence that God is with you, that God's presence is beside you, that God's love surrounds you, and yes, in the troubles of the day, and there will be troubles, you are not alone, but you have God's grace and God's peace and God's love and God's assurance that whatever these troubles are, they do not have the ultimate power, that God is the one who holds life and death, God is the one who holds all plans and purposes in his hands, and he uses all circumstances of life for his glory and for our good. 
And when we can put our faith in God to face the troubles of today and allow our faith to say the troubles of tomorrow, they'll keep till tomorrow. They'll, they'll, they'll be sitting there waiting for me till tomorrow. And when I get to tomorrow, God will be with me tomorrow as well. Then that gives us a life in which we can find peace and hope each and every step of the life we are called to live. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this challenge. Thank you that you are a God who, uh, even at the end of such a practical series of teaching, dealing with you know, giving and praying and fasting, that you didn't finish that section by just slamming us with a long to-do list of things that we could just continually fail at as we each struggle in these areas of our life. But thank you, Lord God, that you do call us to live a vision that is beyond us. Even the very vision of giving and praying and fasting, it's, these, are, these are little disciplines about denying ourselves and lifting our vision beyond us seeing beyond us, giving to people that is outside of any relationship that they can give back to us. It's about entering into a world that is bigger than us. And I want to thank you, Lord God, that you are a God who has designed us and purposed us to live a fruitful life in the plans and the purposes that you have for us. But Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do want to acknowledge that the pressures of our daily life, the realities of the situations in which we're in, and even our own needs, our own ambitions, our own desires, our own lusts, our own visions of ourselves can drive us and drag us into the smaller world called me. And I pray, Lord God, that you by your spirit would be gracious to us, that you would help us to live in the bigger world, the world that Jesus Christ is calling us into, the world of us, the world of relationship, the world of love, the world of compassion, the world of service, the world of generosity, the world in which love is is given and received. And I pray, Lord God, that we would each learn what it is to live more and more in that world, but most of all, that through that, we would also learn what it is to trust in your love, to trust in your generosity, to trust in your goodness, to trust in your grace. And that we can live in the troubles of each day and yet still have the peace that you are with us, that your love surrounds us, and that you are the one who ultimately does all things for your glory and for our good. Lord God, may this faith and may this vision be that which grabs onto our heart. And may we be able to live the words that Jesus has given us. Do not worry. May that reality be true for each and every one of us. Lord God, we commit all these things into your hands in Jesus' name. And amen.